Welcome to Alder Pod number two, Chapter One, Cora Gray. Thanks so much for listening, and do please stay tuned. Gray squinted over the top of the gun. The spectacles really did help. She reveled in the feeling of the pistol in her hands, the etched grips smooth against her palm, familiar and warm to her touch. It was a particularly difficult shot from this distance, and she knew Jack was just testing her. A cool breeze swept down from the north, picking up her skirt slightly. And ruffling the curls atop her head, her breath stilled, and she concentrated on the bottle out on the distant fence post. She thought she could see right through the green glass to the rolling prairie on the other side. There was nothing for miles that way, but behind her the brown wood buildings of Vell rose in neat succession: the inn, the tavern, the blacksmith shop, the baker, the butchery. And of course, the trim dwellings of the three hundred odd souls that called it home. Sometimes folks gathered to watch her shoot, especially the children, when there wasn't much better to do. But it was spring, and tonight was the last night of blossom days, celebrating the blooms on the prairie cactuses and the coming of the growing season. So most of the folk in Vell were adorning their homes and houses with flowers and garlands. And taking the extra time to dress their best, the alderman, Cora's father included, had been sent off to Moot, which had been somewhat unexpected. Typically, Alister Gray accompanied his daughter out to the shooting range with Jack, the blacksmith, and his son Brick, but today Cora had her maid instead, a quiet girl named Jem. Cora waited just a second more to settle her shoulders a bit, then she squeezed the trigger. The recoil of the pistol swiftly passed up her arm, and the sharp report were simultaneously. She kept her eyes locked downrange, watching the spray of green glass span up and out, the sparkling fragments twinkling in the sun, and then disappearing into the tall grass. Look at that," Jack said, slapping his hand on his chest. He was a big man, the smith, and looked the part. He had a bushy black beard and a pair of cool gray eyes, and at a hundred paces too, Brickley boy, I'd say she's a better shot than you. The blacksmith continued to laugh, much to the consternation of his son. Brick was a few years older than Cora, an average height for an eighteen-year-old. His broad, powerful shoulders echoed those of his father, and he carried himself much more surely than his fellows. He had grown up in his father's smithy. And had worked with hammer and anvil for most of his life. Cora glanced over at him, but her smile melted to see his expression. His gray eyes were narrowed at the post on which the bottle had stood, and his arms were across his chest. But even in his moody state, he was still quite handsome, at least to Cora. To most, one glance gave away his underclass roots immediately. 
what with all the dark hair and smudges on his face. But he had a sharpness of feature many of the alder-class boys didn't have, a strength that was visible not just in the thick black brows and angled jaw, but also in his movements. Strictly speaking, Cora shouldn't have associated herself with a blacksmith and his boy, but the caste laws were a little more lax in the territories than they could have been in Queensland. Denna, Cora's younger sister, constantly scolded her for her deliberate disregard of common class lines. Purely inappropriate, Denna called it. But Cora had always thought that the delineation between classes was just silly. She enjoyed the company of Brick and Jack more than just about any of the stuffed shirts in town. One of Denna's favorites, Dason, Alderman Lester's son, was a brute and a prig. Cora would much rather listen to Jack's stories and hear Brick talk about his grandfather's famous guns than associate with that sort. "'Well, I doubt I'm better than Brick,' Cora said modestly, but taking the moment to curtsy her gratitude. She handed the pistol back to Jack. "'But I think I've improved considerably, thanks to Professor's generosity in making these spectacles for me. Without them, I'd be just as likely to shoot one of you.' "'I'd say,' Brick agreed." the envy in his sarcasm impossible to miss. "'I wasn't that bad when I started,' Cora replied. "'Was I?' Jack chuckled. "'You can't be good at something you ain't never done from the start, but I'd say you've improved quicker than some full-grown men I've seen before.' "'You think so?' Cora asked, writing her specs with her thumb. The one thing she didn't like about them, besides giving her a rather owlish appearance, was the fact they continually slid down her nose.' "'I think you've got a natural eye for it,' Jack said, patting Cora on the shoulder. "'And Brick thinks so, too, even if he doesn't have the good manners to act like it. "'He's just jealous because it took him years to get where you've got in just a few months.' "'Brick snorted. "'My dad says my mother was a great shot,' Cora said. "'Do you remember her at all?' "'The blacksmith looked a bit taken aback, twitching his head slightly at the question. "'Oh, er, yeah, yeah, sure.' "'Your ma, she was right good with a gun, come to think of it. "'Of course, when she was round, God's bless her soul, "'I was but an apprentice to my dad, "'and I can't say I saw much more than the inside of his shop for a few years.' "'Of course,' Cora said, "'disappointed that her mother had not made more of an impact on Jack "'or any run for that matter. "'Most people in Vell had little to say about her at all, in fact. "'Cora's father and mother had arrived from Queensland about fifteen years ago,' and it was well known that Estelle Vizina had married significantly beneath her, the great household being only minor nobility and the Vizina's cousins of the queen. In spite of the overall shortage of girl children, Estelle had miraculously born two girls in the span of two and a half years, Cora and her sister, but had died in childbirth with her third child. The occurrence was far from uncommon, but that hadn't stopped Cora from seeking details wherever she could. "'We should get back,' Jem said from Cora's side. "'Must we?' Cora pleaded. "'I was just warming up, really. "'You've got an appointment with the seamer in a few minutes, "'and, and then it's your shift work in the stables. "'And if I may say, miss, you look like you've just finished here, "'and the dust has done quite a bit of work on your hair. "'Not to mention my petticoats,' Cora said, looking down at her feet. "'She wished she were allowed to wear more practical clothing for gun practice.' But she was lucky enough, she reflected, that her father had permitted her to any gun practice at all. "'Very well, Gemova,' said Cora, reaching up to tuck one of her curls behind her head. 
She could feel the dust from the prairie in between the strands of hair. She must look a mess. With her most cordial smile, she curtsied to Jack. Thank you again, most noble blacksmith, for your time and attentions. Any time, my lady, Jack replied, bowing a little stiffly. He smiled, always willing to indulge Cora's chivalric fantasies. Arm in arm, the girls departed back toward town, a gentle breeze ruffling their skirts. It wasn't too far of a walk, but there was usually enough time for Jem to put in her two cents about things she thought Cora most likely did wrong or not well enough. Someone had to keep her in check, after all. Jem was around twenty or so, and had been Cora's maid since she could remember. A clever girl, a little shorter than Cora, she was the taskmaster at the Gray household. Her hair was cut short, as underclass girls always did, and she wore a plain homespun brown dress. She had taken up the position of housekeeper upon the death of her father two years ago, and he had been running the house since Cora's mother had passed away when she was six. Though Cora could never call her relationship with her maid a particularly friendly one, she certainly appreciated Jem. "'I'm glad your father listened to my suggestion about learning to shoot,' Jem says, as they passed by the pen of Longhorns busily chewing and lowing. "'I know he doesn't like to think about odds, but the truth is there's less and less girls in Bell since the last few were married off. Just yourself and Denna over the age of ten, and I hear the Valerie's are planning on moving their daughter north.' "'Denna won't go to gun lessons,' Cora said with a shrug. "'You know she doesn't like to get dirty. "'But at least you can protect yourself.' Jem said, looking up at her. The maid looked tired, Cora thought, with dark purple circles under her eyes. She wondered if she'd been sleeping well. "'You know,' Cora said, "'father's last letter included some of the most recent figures from the Crown surveys. Did you know that last year there were only twenty-eight girls born in the territories in older class? That's, well, well, goodness, I can't even make much sense of the numbers. Last year the figures were down to two in every ten, but this is much, much less.' Girl children had been arriving in fewer and fewer numbers every year. After the great collision and the ensuing years of plagues and floods, women were scarce, but back then it had been roughly around 40%. In the following centuries, the numbers had plummeted, and increasingly, women seemed to be falling sterile. That Cora's mother had had two girls was considered something of a minor miracle. Some women she knew, like Angeline Cooper in town, had twelve boys before finally refusing another pregnancy. Jem frowned. Twenty-eight, she said. In all the territories? Did he mention other girls? I mean, those not in Alder class? No mention, Cora said. But I'm sure when he comes back we can ask him. He seemed mostly concerned with marriage, as usual, and the standing of the knights. It seems the crown has more knights to do than they know what to deal with, and there have been skirmishes up and down the continent, factions against factions. Father says that the knights are a good way to keep the ever-growing male population in check, giving them something to do while reducing their numbers. But I think it's a bit of a boiling pot, don't you? It's not just men, though, Jem said. I hear there's women knights, too. Of course there are, but not usually in the higher ranks. Father says that a few of the orders let women in, but those, mostly, are the orders that are furthest from the crown. "'I don't think the Queen likes being around other powerful women,' Cora said with a chuckle. Jem looked concerned and stopped suddenly. "'He mentioned marriage. What was he saying about marriage?' "'Mostly the usual, about how I'm nearly eighteen, and he needs to start considering sending me away to the Academy. 
but also a bit about the difficulties he faces in trying to find me a match. He wants me to be happy and wishes he could have me marry for love and so on and so on, Cora said with a sigh. She wished her father didn't possess such a romantic view of her future. She'd known from a young age that her marriage would be strictly an alliance. But love, if it so happened. But being practical didn't mean it hurt any less to know she couldn't make her own choice. In a different time, Coralie, her father would say, in a different time you could love any man you chose. But here and now, I'm afraid it's a very different set of rules. If... Only you had been born a boy, I could have sent you away to be a knight, and I wouldn't have to worry so much. At any rate, Cora said, picking up their pace once again, apparently tensions are running high at court. There's talk about sending territories girls up to Hartley Castle to hold audience with the Queen. Apparently that idea hasn't gone over too well. He wrote all of this in a letter? Jem said, somewhat skeptically. Cora laughed. Mostly, yes. Or at least... Sometimes I can tell by the way he says things, though they look cordial on the outside, that he's really saying the opposite. But I'll ask him when he comes back, which should be in a few weeks. He said Moot this year is terribly dull, with no sign of slowing. And being on the Great Island, the summer storms are about to begin. He may be delayed. In the meantime, I'm in charge, Jem said. As always, Cora said. The final fitting for her blossom day gown went swiftly enough. Mr. Tookson, the tailor, just had to check a few seams. Though Cora had for the most part stopped growing, Mr. Tookson wanted to make sure the dress was becoming for a nearly marriageable girl. Cora was glad for Jem's company, as the tailor had a precariously wandering gaze, and the fitting gave him license to have access to nearly every part of her. But under Jem's watchful eye, he rarely tried for anything risque. The dress was far from Cora's taste, but the fabric had been chosen by her father before he left, and she felt she must honor his request, even if he couldn't see her in it. Made of a fine Moorish silk, it was the color of a bluebell, and rimmed with lace about the neck and cuffs. Looking at herself in the mirror, Cora frowned. She looked terribly overdone and both too young and too old, coquettish, with all the trimmings and bows. The corset was tight, and showed her figure a little too prominently for her own liking. She would have much rather worn something simple. Jimiver, Mr. Tookson said, as Cora emerged from the dressing room in her dusty petticoats again. You can pick it up within the hour. I'll be happy to make all the necessary alterations. While Jem could do just about anything from repair bad piping into the, in the house to cook a meal for twenty, she was notoriously bad with the needle and thread. It was due to her ineptitude, joked Alderman Gray, that Mr. Tookson stayed in business at all. And will Denna Lynn be in later for her alteration? asked the tailor. Certainly, Jem replied. I'll bring her by. Currently she's with a tutor, but I'll see to it she's prompt. Gods be with you, Jem of her then, chuckled Mr. Tookson. Denna had a reputation for being fashionably, or unfashionably late, to almost everything. Part of it, Cora always thought, was her younger sister's desire to make an entrance. Dubbed the Belle of Vell by local folk, her beauty was somewhat legendary. At fifteen, she was radiant. Her hair was not the wind-blown brown Cora had inherited from her father, but a golden blonde, like summer wheat under a prairie sun. 
Her azure blue eyes and exceptionally comely figure assured that she did get attention wherever she went. Jem left Cora in the stables, where she'd spend the next few hours tending to the horses. Despite being alone, it was safe. Most of the stables were wide open, save for the interior overhang, and it stood adjacent to the blacksmith's home as well as Professor's. Professor was always inside, poking about her instruments, when Cora was doing her duties in the stables, so there was little worry either way. Anyone who came into the stables would either be seen by Jack or Professor. Unlike the horses of the Isles, the Territory horses were a much wilder breed. They were a cross between the purebred standard horses of the Isles and the wild Territory strain called Burries. More commonly, they were called Tanber horses, for the typical caramel-to-tan color of their slightly speckled coats and the compound word of the Moorish word for horse, tano, and bury. Vel boasted nearly sixty Tanbers, and at the moment two foals and a filly. Stockier than the Tanos of the Isles, the Tanbers were perfect for long riding, not racing, and the often rocky passes from the mountains into the prairie. The Greys themselves owned seven Tanbers, two of which had gone with the alderman on his journey to Moot. The five left were two sandy-colored mares named Tipsy and Nan, and three gelded males, one speckled dark brown, and the other two uniformly mottled caramel and gray. The males were called Vicar, Elmer, and Fye. Cora clicked her tongue and called Nan to her. The mare was Cora's favorite. The Tanbur's big brown eyes regarded her human friend with interest. Trotting over happily, Nan nuzzled Cora and then snuffed around for some sort of treat. Oh, Nan, Cora said, giggling as the horse's lips explored her ear. I haven't got any snacks for you. I'm afraid it's just more hay today, and, oh, you've got my specs all smeared. Nan was persistent, though. Figuring she'd better placate the horse before she rolled up her sleeves and took care of the unpleasantries of horse upkeep, Cora went to the back storeroom of the stables. This enclosed room was right off of the professor's house, and was where they kept all the apples and salt licks as well as extra tack for whenever it was needed. Cora poked around the shelves. Professor had been by recently. She could tell. The strange little woman had a knack for going through things and making even the most disorganized rooms messier. Being a few inches taller than three feet, she'd stacked crates up one on top of the other to reach the highest shelves. In the process, she had knocked down a bag of feed which littered the entire floor and tipped over a bottle of tar which had unceremoniously dribbled down the walls and over a particularly nice bridle. "'Oh, gods,' Cora said to herself, "'this is going to be fun to clean.' She stooped down. The tar was still tacky. But what in the moons could she use to clean it up? She couldn't very well leave it to destroy a perfectly good bridle. Though Professor had some seriously odd habits, most of the townsfolk tolerated her eccentricities with affection and respect. Professor was an inventor, for lack of a better term. Alderman Gray thought she was absolutely essential to the success of Vell. She had installed a city-wide cistern system, for example, which provided fresh water even during the driest of months. Professor had even improved the mechanisms on guns in town with slight alterations, a change which her father had said had saved his life more than once. Not to mention, she had developed a town-wide alarm system, 
to alert the townsfolk of fire or attack. So like everyone else in town, Cora put up with the consequences of Professor's habits. She had just finished cleaning off the brass buckle when the door to the storeroom swung open wildly on its hinges. She had forgotten to lock it, and it seemed whoever was on the outside expected a little more resistance. Ah, hells, came the voice of Brick Smithson. You couldn't even knock, Cora said, startled to her feet now. She'd managed to drag the tarry bridle all along the front of her dress as she had flinched. Jem would not be happy about those stains. Brick peered around the door, his tanned cheeks tinged with red from embarrassment. He was holding his hand to his mouth, sucking on what must have been a rather painful cut from the door's thin and well-worn latch. "'Didn't think no one was in here,' he muttered, looking away from her quickly. He always did that. Being a young man, he was careful to follow proper decorum. "'Well, I'm here, cleaning up after Professor, again. Uh, "'That's what I was coming in here for,' he said." leaning against the door jamb. He raised a dark eyebrow, the corner of his mouth smiling along with it. You know you're covered in tar, right? I had an inkling, yes, Cora replied. Oh, God, she thought, it's happening again. She began to chuckle. As of late, every time she was around Brick, especially in the absence of other people, which was, quite honestly, more often than it should be, she was unable to control her laughter. Everything he said was riotously funny, or at least she acted that way. Part of her brain protested while the other simply giggled madly. It was like being half-drunk all the time. And there was no good reason for it at all. Cora had known Brick her entire life. They'd gone riding together countless times, and he'd even taught her the basics of smithing. They shared their hopes and dreams, sitting together under the alder at the edge of town and renaming the constellations. They were the closest of friends. But sometime in the last year, Brick had changed, or she had changed. He wasn't just her friend. Suddenly, he was a man, and a handsome one at that. Cora had always marveled at the way he was built, at the strength in his arms and shoulders. He'd once picked her up off her horse and set her back on the ground again without so much as a grunt. While certainly not a heavy-set girl, Cora was still rather tall, far from the willow wand of a sister she had. Now she hadn't been able to stop thinking about the feeling of his hands on her waist, so sure and so strong. Brick was staring at her. Anyway, he said, slapping the door jam with the palm of his hand, I'll, uh, I'll come back later. Don't worry about the mess and all. Brick, wait, Cora said, her mind racing. She wanted to think of something to keep him here, just for a moment or two. He'd been particularly distant the last few days, she'd noticed. She'd been trying to get him alone for a few days now, but he always seemed to have somewhere else to go. Listen, um, do you know it might get tar out? I'm afraid I've got a bit on my dress, and Jem will have a fit if I come home like this. No idea. Brick said, turning to go again. Brick! What? He outright snapped at her. Cora, being alder class, was both unaccustomed to being spoken to in such a manner, and shocked that her friend would be so harsh. Gods, what's got into you? Cora asked, folding her arms across her chest. 
Brick sneered slightly, as if he'd just gotten a whiff of something unpleasant. Considering their current location, that wasn't particularly surprising. But fifteen years of friendship had taught Cora a great many things about Brick, and first and foremost was her ability to read his expressions. He was upset about something. That much she could tell by his act of violence against the storeroom door. But he was also bothered by something as well. Listen, he said, taking a deep breath and letting it out slowly. He looked down at his knuckles, which were bleeding a bit. He wiped them on his shirt. Cora took a step closer. Do you want me to take a look at your hand? No, Brick said a little weakly. Then he said it again. No, Cora, hey, you gotta listen to me, cause I can't say this more than once, alright? Sure, Cora said, not liking the tone of his voice one bit. I was told, alright, that, well, I can't be around you much, especially not alone, and I promised, so you'll let me go, right? No, said Cora, her voice sounding rather streaky in her own ears. What do you mean? Who told you? Who did you promise? What are you talking about? Brick drew his hand down the side of his face. Exasperation would be the word for it, Cora thought. It don't matter, but just, will you let me go? Brick, you're my friend. You can't just stop being someone's friend. Yeah, you can if you have to, he said, looking over his shoulder. Is that what this is all about, then? You're being so rude to me during pistol practice. I wasn't being rude. I was just sick of my dad going on about your shooting, okay? Brick said. Cora resisted the urge to all-out punch him in the gut. She doubted she'd make much of an impression that way anyway. What had gotten into Brick? Or, more pointedly, who had gotten to him? Plus, you knew it was bound to happen, Brick continued, when it appeared Cora wouldn't interrupt him with half a dozen questions again. Me being what I am, and you being what you are, right? Oh, so that's what this is about, then. You're punishing me for being older class. That's not fair. You know what ain't fair? What ain't fair is me having to get hung if someone decides I wasn't being appropriate with you. If the right or the wrong person walks in and decides I'm looking at you a way he don't like, I can get thrown in the stocks, or shot, or dragged behind a horse. That ain't fair. Cora couldn't very well argue with that line of thought. But it's never been a problem, not so long as we've been friends. And we've been friends so long, Brick. You're just about all I have here. Well, things are bound to change, Cora, he replied, shaking his head. Within the year, you'll be married, I expect. You'll leave Vell, and I'll still be here. And it won't seem likely that I'll see you again, so we just might as well do what we can to make sure there ain't no rumors circulating when it comes down to it, huh? The thought struck Cora like an icicle in the stomach. It was my father! My father spoke with you! He didn't respond, but his eyes dropped to the ground. Someone spotted us a few weeks back. We were playing cards, I think, back behind professors, and someone saw and mentioned it to your dad, and he mentioned it to me, he continued. He's just looking out for you, Cora, but he was convincing. He wants to be sure my value isn't decreased, she said. He wants to be sure when some fat, balding, wart-faced noble comes traipsing in here, he knows his daughter will fetch the best price. Because that's all it is, Brick. It's practically slavery. And he's taking away one of the only things I have left here, because he doesn't want his fecking name besmirched. 
She could feel the fury rising in her, as it always did when her temper switched on. Her cheeks were burning, though she felt as if her stomach were still made of ice. Her hands were balled up into fists, and she could feel her fingernails digging into her palms. So that's why the last letter had been so long. Her father had wanted to reiterate the importance of her place, of her marriage and her future, as a grey and as part of the royal line. But the fury quickly turned to tears, and she sat down with a puff of petticoats on one of the barrels and buried her head in her hands. How could her father do this? She had only, what, a few months before she was sent away to the academy? This was Vel, for God's sake, in the middle of nowhere. Who cared if there were a few rumors in town? Gods knew that there were plenty of rumors about Callia Burnham before she left to be married, and she'd married one of the nephews of the queen. Oh, Cora, Brick was saying. She could see his feet now, just a few paces away. Don't! Just get out, she said through her fingers. Cora, listen, if I had a choice, I'd... Cora felt his hand on her shoulder. He squeezed lightly. She could feel the heat from him even at the distance. She wished, with an intensity that she could not understand, that he would take her in his arms. When it comes down to it, he said, it don't matter how I feel, or how you feel, because that ain't the real world. I won't never marry. Cora glanced up at Brick. He wasn't far from her now. She could see the clear gray of his eyes, the smudges of soot on his cheeks, the birthmark he had right below his lip. "'What do you feel?' she asked. He fell silent and pressed his fingers into his eyes as if he'd had a great headache, or, thought Cora, as if he was trying not to cry. At last he said, "'It don't make no difference.' Before she allowed herself to think, Cora launched herself forward and grabbed Brick by the back of the head. She pressed her lips into his and kissed him, hard and surely. At first he startled and began to pull out of her grasp, but suddenly he softened. His breath quickened and his shoulders relaxed. Cora felt her stomach rise and fall, but in an entirely pleasant way. She moved her hand down Brick's arms, grasping for his fingers. <clears throat> Professor was standing at the door to the stables. Cora lurched away from Brick and stumbled, barely catching herself on one of the shelves. But her additional weight tore it loose from the wall, and the shelf and a bag of feed came down on her head, scattering seeds and corn kernels everywhere. Gasping and blinking, rubbing the dust from her eyes, she saw Professor more clearly in the doorway. The little woman's face was pinched and red with anger, her spectacles down over her nose. She wore a wide-brimmed hat that cast some of her face in shadow, deepening the lines in her usually merry face. Clad in breeches and suspenders, many passers-by mistook her for a young boy, but a closer look showed lines in her face and streaks of gray in the ponytail behind her head. "'Professor!' said Cora, staggering to a stand. Brick was wide-eyed, backing up against the side of the storeroom. Brick, get back to my workshop, hm? And Miss Gray, you'd best be getting home. It's going to take Jim a while to get those stains out of your dress. You'd best get that to her before the stains set in, don't you think? She gave Cora a little wink. Yes, ma'am, Cora said, noticing how much her lips trembled as she said it. 
It could have been worse. So much worse. Professor didn't care for the trivialities of caste rules, but she was Wong among many. Trying her best to brush the debris from her dress, Cora glanced at Brick one last time and then ran out the door, tears still stinging her eyes, but she was elated and excited at the same time. She'd actually done it. She kissed him.